to Uplifting Impact. I'm super excited today because the person that we have on the show is somebody that I have been dying to have a conversation with. And so I'm excited for me, but I'm also excited for you because you're going to get a chance to hear from Minda Hartz. Minda is the CEO of the Memo LLC. It's a career development platform for women of color. She's the best-selling author of The Memo. What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. Minda is an assistant professor at NYU Wagner. She has also been featured on MSNBC. She's been featured on Fast Company, The Guardian, and Time Magazine. We also were both mentioned in the Forbes magazine of eight women, African-American women to watch, or that you should know, I think is what the title was. Uh, She also frequently speaks at companies like Microsoft and Levi's, Google and Bloomberg on topics such as leadership, managing diverse teams, and self-advocacy. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Secure the Seat. I know that's a lot of stuff, but we'll make sure that we put it all in the notes. Minda, it's so awesome to have you here with us today. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you, Dana, for having me. I know I, I'm a jack of all, Jill of all trades, all the hats. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I have to tell you, when I first heard about this book coming out, I heard about it months before it was you know, going to be released. Literally the minute that I saw that this book was happening, I went online and I pre-ordered a copy. I was like, thank goodness it's finally here. But for people who haven't gotten the chance to pick up the book yet, can you tell us a little bit about it and and why you wrote it and what's what's it all about? Yeah, well, first off, thank you uh, for pre-ordering. All all those things matter. (laughs) Anybody who's written a book. Um, But if you hadn't gotten the memo yet, I, I hope that you'll consider it after this conversation. But the memo is what I'd say is like a lean in for women of color and black women. And so oftentimes uh, we read a lot of business books, career books that talk about women in the workplace, but they don't tend to be intersectional. And so I wanted to write a book in which we were the center of the career narrative, right? Because so many of us are the only one in the workforce, only black women, only women of color or one of few. And so that's all emotionally taxing and draining. And and oftentimes we've settled into microaggressions. We've settled into bias. And I felt like, you know what, we've worked too hard to lean out. Um, So I want to, I want us to be seen and be able to kind of shake our heads up and down. And there's some common themes of being, you know, one of the only in the workplace. And so I, I think it was time in the 21st century that we talk about what it's like for us to be in the workplace. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think one of the things that was a big theme throughout it is like, you're not alone, yep. right? You There are other people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. I think when I read it, I was like, yes, you are not crazy, right? Yep. These things are happening because when you don't see yourself in the narrative, then it can often feel like, oh, and you don't see yourself in the workplace. It can often feel like you're in complete and total isolation, or maybe it's only happening in your head. Yep, absolutely. And I think that that's part of it, right? Because in our head, because we don't have any other thing to um, compare it to, right? And so our colleagues don't get it or say, oh, no, that's just so-and-so being so-and-so, right? But at some point, we have to address these inequalities. And if we talk about things like sexual harassment, then I also think it's important that we talk about topics like, um, you know, racial inequalities in the workforce place as well. And so it just really was pulling back the cover on what it's like for women who aren't white in the workplace. 
And so when you were thinking about like the person who's going to pick up this book and the person is going to read that, can you explain to me who, who was in your mind's eye, who were you writing this book for? Well, when I first started writing the book, Deanna, I'll be honest, I was writing it for black women, women of color. I mean, that it definitely is a love letter to us saying, I see you, I understand you're not alone, but let's figure this thing out together. Right. But then also, even though the cover has a woman of color and it's, and it has the words, I think our unconscious bias would say that this is just a book for them, but actually it's a book also for, for those who consider themselves allies or who want to be active allies, because you can't help anyone if you don't understand their stories. Right. And so it's nice that you call yourself an ally, but what does it really look like in action you know, are you leaning into that courage when it when it matters? And so I also wanted our managers who manage diverse talent to be able to read about what it's like for, you know, one a year black women or brown women to show up to work in, you know, after a Trayvon Martin situation, what that's yeah. like for them. Right. You know, cer- certain things like that. And so I think it was really important for us to if we're going to talk about it, then let's dig in. And here's what it's like for everyone on your team. And so I I wrote it for the manager. I wrote it for everyone. If you care about the future of work, which I believe we're in it right now, then it Mm -hmm. requires us understanding how each of our colleagues are bringing themselves to work. So that's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they, they, they believe this central thesis that in order for you to be a strong leader, you have to have this diversity, equity, and inclusion like concept as a core competency, right? Like that's the thing we talk about a lot on this show, but what, what does that feel like? Right? So what, what have you heard, I, I guess, from people who are out there who have picked up the book and they're like, Oh, you know, Oh, this is not my experience. Are they surprised? Are they are they confused? What what's the response that you're getting from people who are not women of color who are reading this book? Yeah, that's a great question and I'm so happy that people yes, I wrote it for us, which is important, but I also we can't change the workplace by ourselves, right? So it requires others to understand what their role is in it and so I've been really excited on how company leaders who aren't of color uh, or are the majority, they've been inviting me in to do book talks and conversations and workshops because they do realize that it's going to take a little bit more than just saying that we care about diversity, equity, inclusion, but what does it look like, as you said, in practice? And so some of the things I'll receive from people who email me and say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I needed this book. You know, it was a, a hard read initially because I saw myself doing some of the things in the book, or I used some of this language and I thought I was helping the situation, but I've actually, you know, harmed. And I think when you hear allies or, um, you know, aspiring allies ask, what can we do? This is part of what you do. You read it and then we can have a conversation, right? There has to be a fundamental educational um, standpoint. And so for them, they really thanked me just as much as women of color have thanked me for the book because they didn't realize how oppressive in some of their ways, again, well-intentioned, but, you know, doing, perpetuating these systems that we think are helpful. And so it's really, I think, creating a better working environment with awareness. So that's interesting because you talk about, you know, okay, there's people who read this book and saw themselves in it and not in a flattering light. Right. And so what, can you give me any examples of, you know, somebody who's like, okay, I was doing this and now I'm going to change my behavior because I think that that's one of the hardest things, you know, people often resist this work because they feel like 
I don't want to see that side of me, or I don't want to be portrayed in that way, or I'm afraid I'm going to be portrayed in that way. So how do you take that and leverage it as a, like an empowering moment? Yeah. You know, uh, one gentleman in particular, he, uh, he's probably been like one of my fierce advocates of the book because when he read it, he said, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize he realized that he had been using a lot of language that was demeaning toward you know, black women or tokenizing in a sense. And he said, you know, I often always say, Oh, you know, Kim, I don't see color. And he's like, that's my go-to phrase. And, uh, after reading your book, I realized, wow, every time I say that that's othering her, you know, and how, what am I going to do to make sure that she doesn't feel that way and how am and then on the flip side, um, I've heard from a lot of, uh, senior leaders saying, you know, I haven't done a good job of sponsoring women of color in the workplace. You know, I've just kind of turned a blind eye, not intentional, but I just haven't been invested. And so now I am going to start going to the employee resource groups, right? I am going to celebrate, you know, Black History Month when it's, you know, not just for them, but, but showing up. And so I think the reality is, is that each of us has room to grow if that's what we want. And, and not just from um, a racial lens, but I've also heard many white women tell me that it's just really great practical advice on just how to be a better, to humanize the workplace. Right. And I think that's what it all boils down to. How do we humanize? And that requires us to step outside of ourselves and tap into that emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because a lot of times when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion work, we're talking about how to do human work. We're not just talking about, right, one group or this or that. It, it really is like something that can benefit across the entire entire spectrum. So you, when you were thinking about, you know, putting this book together and you really were focusing on women of color, did you get any like backlash from anybody? Was anybody like, you know, trying to tell you not to do it? Or did you hear any of that uh, rumbling? Um, so no, not necessarily at first because, um, I did hear, I, I will say this. So my book, uh, we, when my agent went to go pitch the book, there's five major publishers and four of the publishers said no, because there wasn't an audience for a book like this, that mm. these are isolated situations. And it's so interesting. That's what we're talking about being invisible, not being seen and heard. And then to go and say, this is our experience and being told no. And, and that was a large part because the people around the table didn't look like me. Right. And so they didn't have that as their experience. So they didn't want to lean into that, but we did have one of the publishers say, you know what, we hadn't considered it. Right. Even their table wasn't as diverse, but they thought, wow, we are missing out on a whole group of women. Let's see where this goes. And so I'm so thankful that they leaned into their courage, right. To put a book out here, like the memo that hadn't been out from a major publisher to say, we have some room to grow. And so that was the initial thing. And once I realized that, oh, you know what? I got to, I'm getting this opportunity. I got to crack the door open so that more women of color will be able to tell their stories and, and they won't be told that there's no audience uh, for a book like this. And so it did become a bestseller. Um, and I'm so thankful because again, we saw ourselves in the narrative and, and the publishing industry is predominantly white. And so mm -hmm. when my, my editor is a white woman, my, you know, the legal team, the, the audio, the audio book engineer, you know, all of that stuff. So there were certain points in the book where I'd be like, am I really going to say this sentence or not? And so I, <laughs> I had to lean into my courage to say, if not me, then who, and, and, um, and how am I going to make the workplace better than I left it? And that requires, you know, telling the truth and, and hoping that more people will 
join us on this uh, humanized journey to diversity. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I run a book company for children's books. And so we have this imprint where we really focus on bringing out positive images of children of color. And similar to what you just said, when we went to the traditional publishers, one of the things that we were told is that there's no audience for this. But guess what? Our books are one of the highest sold like books from the publishing company that did, you know, end up going with us. They're one of the highest sold books consistently year after year after year. And the reason for it is because not only, I mean, I think the books are high quality. I put a lot of work into them, right? We clear. Yeah, let's be clear, right? But the other part of it is that there isn't a lot of things. There's not a lot of options actually in the marketplace. And so you're creating this self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that we do that not just in the publishing world. We do that in a lot of different places where we say, oh, we, we can't have dolls that look like children of color. We can't have, you know, name it, you, like books. We can't have, you know, things that are talking about the workplace. We can't have uh, cultural festivals. We can't, it just, it, it comes in so many different places Mm-hmm. But it's this really very old, I think, and tired excuse because you can't say that there's no market if you haven't actually tried. Right, right. Go figure, right? You, Absolutely. If you put books like this, then there never will be a market. You'll never have any data points to support it. And I think that that's, it's so important that we do tell our stories and push forward, even if we have to create our own tables, so that there is that fact and feeling, right? And I think that sometimes people have to see that. Okay. So the memo is all about, you know, trying to get to the table. So once you get to the table, right. And you're a person from any marginalized group, I know you focus on women of color, but you know, from, from there's a number of different groups, I think who could find your book very, very resourceful just because it is illuminating what happens in a lot of different groups, right? Now you get to the table. What do you do when you get to the table, Minda, to change it? So that we don't, we don't also perpetuate what's already happening. Yeah, I think that's the most important part. I think for me, when I was in corporate America, I thought, oh, if you just get in the room, right? If you just get to the table, you don't have to do much. You're just there. That's enough, right? Just be happy. Don't say anything. (laughs) But what I realized was I was doing myself a disservice just sitting there uh, because I'm there. What am I going to do with this seat, right? This is equity. We ask for equity in the workplace. And when you have that seat, I see it in a sense of ownership um, that we have to do what we can to make sure that we're not the only one or the last one in that room. And so our voice is what goes along with that seat. And so I think it's so uh, imperative that we find those, I guess you could say those pillars that we want to push in that room while we're there, right? And what what relationships do we need to build so that we can make, again, make the workplace better? Success is not a solo sport. Once I get there, I can't just say, oh, well, I can kick my feet up. I've made it. No, what are we doing to, to push the agenda? Why am I here, right? I'm here to make change. And I think that once we realize that it's not just about us, it's bigger than us. And for me, again, it's what am I going to do to make the workplace better? And if I sit here and don't say anything or add value to the conversation, then I've not secured my seat. But I'll also say that securing your seat is not just about chairs and tables. It's about mentally, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're there. And I think that that's the part of it. You know, don't question why you're at the table. Don't question why they chose you. You're there. And what you do with that seat is what matters most going forward. 
Absolutely. But I do think, right, like one of the things I appreciated is that inner narrative that happens, right, where it's like, oh, am I the token? Oh, you know, did they just do this? Is my seat really that secure? Is somebody, you know, trying to just find something wrong with me so that I can get it? If I lose it, then nobody else will get, you know, able to, nobody who looks like me will be able to get this. There's these fears that really, that really come up. So when people tell you that, Oh, I got the seat, but now I'm even more scared. I was scared to try and advocate for myself to get to the seat. And then I thought maybe I'd take a deep breath, but now this is even more scary. What kind of advice do you give to people at that moment? Yeah, I think about um, one uh, author that I really enjoy her work and her name is Audre Lorde. And she says, beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it. And we have to remind ourselves that we worked really hard to get in this room, right? We worked really hard to get in this this seat. So you should not be questioning why you're there, right? You know, I think Michelle Obama in her recent Becoming documentary, she said, there's so many forms of legacy, right? Nobody's questioning the athlete. Nobody's questioning the family money, right? Um, So why do we in our head question as people of color why we're in this room? And I think we have to really denounce this enemy state of mind, right? Because we can't fully secure any seat if we're constantly wondering why, what others are thinking of us, right? And so again, securing your seat is making sure that it's legacy building, right? So we can't be concerned with someone across the table is thinking about us. Or if we have, you know, we went to a state college and everyone around the table went to an Ivy League, you're all in the same room, right? (laughs) Okay. So, so lean into what got you in that room, uh, move forward, realize that again, this is bigger than you and what you do in this room will set it up for the future generations to follow. And so we really have to focus on the goals. What are our goals now that we're in this room instead of focusing on things that are going to cause us high blood pressure? You know, (laughs) so I think that those are things you can't control. I always say, Deanna, Deanna, make sure that we Focus on the things that we can control, right? There's so many things we can't, but what part of this narrative can we control for ourselves and for future generations? Absolutely. And I love that, this idea of legacy and thinking about what you can control because at the end of the day, the, there, you know, I think a lot of people will also say, I'm not doing this work. It's so big. I can't fix it. Yep. You know, like I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm going to try and, and, and move as, as far as I can go, but they don't want to look outside because it seems like it's too big. But even though it is big, and there is a lot that needs to be done. Being able to kind of take a step back and say, yeah, but I'm going to, I'm going to look a little bit, I'm going to look in those rear view mirrors, right? I want to see who's on uh, the periphery and I want to be able to bring more people into this because I'm building something that's bigger than me. Yep. Yep. It's so yeah. small acts of courage, right? You know, none of us just wakes up like this, right? It takes right. small acts of courage <laughs> to get to where you are, right? To get to where I am. And and even on our journeys, we're still leaning into that courage to push forward, right? Absolutely. So many came before us who did do that so that we could talk about the things that we're talking about today. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the things is like, I get scared. Do you, do you get scared? Every... Listen, you read chapter eight of this book and you want, when I put chapter eight out in the world, I'm like, what do I do now? (laughs) So you definitely, there's times, but you know, life is definitely about risk-taking and and risk-taking isn't a negative thing. It's a, we have to sometimes shake the table to get results. And I think that that's, it, it brings, it sparks a conversation and that's ultimately what we want to do. 
Right. Absolutely. Well, it was so much fun talking to you. I want to make sure that if people are, you know, want to get connected, where's the best way for them to go so they can follow you and see all the amazing work that you're putting out into the world, all well, your small acts of courage. Small acts. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for seeing me. Thank you for, um, you know, sharing your stage with me because that's what this is about, right? Us sharing each other's stage. And so you can find me uh, on mindahearts.com. All of my social assets are there. I'm most active on Twitter at mindahearts. Fantastic. Well, it was lovely to have you here with us. For those of you listening or watching, we just want to say thank you again for being here at Uplifting Impact. We talked about small uh, acts of courage. Minda, you're doing big acts of courage mixed with small, mixed with big. And I know that people who are listening to this are inspired. I encourage you all to also just take a step outside of your comfort zone, whether that means pursuing something yourself as an individual, or it means sponsoring somebody who doesn't look like you and make making sure that we all are getting the opportunity to come to the table. We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we're looking forward to seeing all of you in our next show. Until then, make sure that you are moving in this world in a way that allows us to get more diversity, more equity, and more inclusion. Thanks. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.